0: Welcome to the Neanderthal Mind, bringing you riveting, educational, humorous, and sometimes serious perspectives on our Neanderthal mind. We dive deep into why what our Neanderthal ancestors did to survive still has a profound effect on our modern mind. Take a journey with us as we roll back the clock millions of years. All right, my fellow cave dwellers, if you're ready... Let's get this wheel rolling. Now here's your host and the leader of the pack, Anthony Yokolano. Welcome again, cave dwellers, to the next episode of The Neanderthal Mind. This week, I have the utmost pleasure and honor of sitting down with the one and only Dr. Rebecca Rag Sykes. She's the author of a number one selling, critically acclaimed book titled Kindred, Neanderthal Life, Love death, and art. Rebecca is a career archaeologist, as well as an honorary fellow at the University of Liverpool and Shirkshire benevois at University de Bordeaux. Rebecca is as well, on top of all that, one of the four founding members of Trollblazers, a foundation for the celebration of women archaeologists, paleontologists, and geologists. Rebecca is active in current movements to advance equality within the archaeological professions, including being part of the Inclusive Archaeology Project and working collectively with organizations, including British women archaeologists. In this first part of two episodes, as if you didn't know that already, Rebecca and I discuss her early years, her experiences in archaeology, and what led her to write her critically acclaimed book, Kindred, so cave dwellers, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I'll see you on the flip side. Hey, how are you? Very well, thank. You. Actually, I should say good evening to you. I think it's uh, five thirty. Your your time. It is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I appreciate you taking out a little bit of time of your evening to sit down and talk with me.
1: No, no, thank you so much for the invitation.
0: I know it's been uh, boy, it's been a few months since I've. I think I emailed you, and then uh, we went through your. Uh, publishers maybe yeah yeah that's right
1: reishma yeah she's great
0: yes absolutely they were they were fantastic kept in constant contact with me so i I appreciate them so
1: where are you where are you
0: based i'm about 30 miles south of pittsburgh is where i'm out pittsburgh pennsylvania so
1: yeah yeah oh that's cool i haven't i've only been to the states once and i did not make it over that way
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of beautiful over this way a lot of hills and rivers and you know a lot of lot of trees and valleys and everything so it's it's beautiful sounds there.
1: a lot like Wales. oh <laughs> okay, I very am. good yeah <laughs> awesome.
0: I, I hope to make it that way sometime oh. <laughs> I've actually never been out of the states so
1: oh wow <laughs>
0: <laughs> I would like to uh, hopefully change that in the near future here just to take some trips you know just to enjoy yeah. what what this world actually has to offer so
1: yeah so tell me about the podcast how long have you been running it uh, let's see. I,
0: I've been going for only about—I'm oh, trying to think what my first one was. Maybe th- three months at the most. So, oh, okay. yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm just a baby in the podcasting arena. So,
1: uh, oh, everyone's got to start somewhere. <laughs> absolutely,
0: and I appreciate you helping me start that. I think we're going to be uh, with with yours when it's published. Will be uh, maybe eight or nine episodes so oh, that's cool yeah yeah and I you know again I appreciate you you get me on my feet here and, and oh well this is
1: only it's only my first book so you know <laughs> we're both starting <laughs> out
0: <laughs> well awesome well in the future you know anytime you know now that we have the contacts here anytime you're gonna bring out a new book definitely get in contact with me I'll be more than happy to have you on to sure to, to promote your book definitely
1: did Beishma send you a copy did you have that yes hand? yep oh, absolutely
0: great. actually I had purchased the Audible version of oh, it. So oh, I, So you
1: heard me waffling on, did you? <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's okay. <laughs> so yeah, it's boy. And I, I, I think I did that before I even contacted you, or, or you know, or uh-huh. got in contact with the publishers. And then yeah, they were they were uh, awesome enough to send me a, a not a hard copy, but you know, a, yeah, an electronic copy, whatever. Nice. So usually I just start off with you know, just tell me about Rebecca. Tell me a little bit about yourself.
1: Um, Well, I'm an archaeologist. Um, I uh, started training in archaeology back in 2000. I started my undergraduate degree um, and that was just a general archaeology degree. Um, And then I quickly sort of realised that my interest from childhood in sort of uh, the past of people did go sort of deep and that I really did want to pursue that and go right into prehistory. So I ended up um taking a master's in human origins. Um and through that I sort of homed in on the Neanderthals and um and then did a PhD on the Neanderthal archaeology of uh Britain, the later Neanderthal archaeology. Um and then yeah I did a I did a postdoc in France um which was mixed prehistoric stuff. There was some Neanderthal uh, sort of content to that, but it was more actually about stone tools and the materials um, through prehistory. Um, and yeah, then like like a lot of people in academia, uh, it's super hard to um, keep getting grants all the time. And I really wanted to, I guess, pursue the other thing that that I am passionate about, which is sharing knowledge and communication and so i already had a book contract in fact for a different book um on humanity and birds in prehistory and that one didn't get started really for a couple of reasons but the publisher and um, bloomsbury sigma that that have um brought kindred out they asked me to to do one about neanderthals instead which i was very keen to do but also kind of intimidated by because i wanted to do them justice and that meant it was going to be an enormous project and it and it was but um but yeah I'm, I'm incredibly pleased with with how it how it turned out and how how people have you know been receiving it so no that's that's kind of my story that's where I got to and turned into an author <laughs>
0: <laughs> well I know others are, are very well pleased with the book as well I, I could tell with uh you know I think you've made it to Europe. you're, a, you're a pretty up top Ten or whatever it is, right? You're you're pretty close to being one of the number one sellers with your new Um, yeah
1: on on certainly on the Amazon listings. Yeah, it was um it's. Well, it was since it was released. It was like in number one in various categories for weeks. Actually, awesome. it was yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's fantastic. You know,
1: yeah, no, I, I, it was beyond beyond any of my expectations. But I guess you know, there's a lot of people out there that want to know about Neanderthals. So,
0: <laughs> and it seemed, and it, but, but just I guess me as an example because I have no experience whatsoever in Neanderthals. It was just, yeah, you know, I got into listening to podcasts a few years ago, and I, I just I've always had an interest in why we think how we think and do what we do, you know, just why our mm-hmm. mate, our brain or our bodies function the way they do. And I was can't remember what podcast I was listening to, but the, someone had come on and said, you know, a lot of it stems from our Neanderthals. So that kind of piqued my interest into getting into... Well you know why do we still act that way after so mm-hmm. many thousands or millions of years, <laughs> depending on you know what what you follow so mm. uh, that 's kind of what led me to uh start the uh, neanderthal mind podcast so and, and, oh, that's cool yeah it it seemed like it's you know every day it's its it seemed like there's more discoveries new discoveries every day as well, and uh you know it seemed to be getting more and more popular so
1: yeah, no, definitely. I think that's one of the things that that I found a little bit sort of scary to write the book because I knew that there was like already literally, you know, thousands of journal articles and book chapters that you know I knew and um, I could draw on and, and go back to and, and read again and you know draw all that together. But I knew that <laughs> as I wrote it, there was going to be you know things coming out left, right, and center, and I would have to you know update it. And in fact, I, I submitted it uh, when did I submit the final text? I think I submitted the final text in May. Um, and then when it came back for like proofreading and things, I, I had to like slot in like one extra sentence <laughs> for another thing that came up. So the, the, the extras were still going in right up to the, the right up to the line. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I uh, interviewed, uh, EA Meggs as well. I don't know. She, she does the, uh, the Dreamers book series. It's kind of a Uh, fictional in a sense tell She follows a Neanderthal family, uh, but she uses discoveries to tell the Mm -hmm. story, you know, but, uh, and that's what I had asked uh, Meg as well is, you know, how how do you cope with so many changes Mm -hmm. coming out as soon as, you you know, as soon as you finish up a chapter, you're like, Oh man, I gotta, (laughs) I gotta include that into the chapter now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, No, I mean, it's, it's tricky, but I think, um, I think overall a lot of the fundamental um stuff has been i guess pretty foundational for a long time and um genetics has been the the reason behind the main shift which was obviously the confirmation that there had actually been interbreeding and that happened a decade ago now so i don't i don't really know sort of bar any more genetic things um you know I d- i'm not really sure what gigantic surprises might be possible but you know <laughs> uh, never turn your back on the neanderthals they do like to surprise us
0: sure I, and I, I and it could have been fake news that i've I seen but uh I, I thought i just read something the other day that now they think or at least it was just newly put out into the public that neanderthals may have come out of Europe instead of out of Africa so who knows oh
1: I have I haven't seen that one but I mean I think you know certainly we don't know where the common ancestral population between us and Neanderthals was we don't know where that was it's probably going to be either in Africa northern Africa maybe or in the near east that would make sense I would think
0: well, let's let's hope they do surprise us and give us something. Mean, anytime we find anything or discover any new anything new about it, it's it's good for us, you know. It's it mm. makes a lot of us smile. So uh, now I know you are you created or uh, started why not? women in archaeology, I believe. Is that what it's?
1: And um, yeah, there's a there's a group called um, Trowel Blazers. A good ton there was. from yes, from yes. one of us. Yeah, no, I was involved in um, founding that. Um, Oh gosh, that was, I think that was 2013 that we founded that now, quite a long time ago. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a website, you know, listeners can check it out. Um, it's basically a, a resource um, full of, um, I think we're over, well over 200 little mini biographies of women who work in archaeology and paleontology and geology, um, you know, with lots of cool photos and things, um, just to kind of, I guess, uh, you know, Tell people not not only were women there from the start, but actually it's really interesting that there's so many connections between uh, women that, that work in those fields. You know, they they train each other or or had like direct research collaborations and that kind of thing was going on even in the 1930s, including on um, a Neanderthal site at uh, at Taboon, which is um, Mount Carmel uh, in the Near East. Uh, that was Palestine then um, and. That was directed by Dorothy Garrod, who is an incredibly influential prehistorian. Um, and she was based uh, um, at Cambridge. Um, but she had many women working on that site with her. Um, and it was actually a woman, a local woman, who was uh, one of the, the many local people who were working on the site, uh, sort of, you know, actually excavating, but also sorting material. This woman was called Yusra and um apparently, it was her that identified the hominin remains of this uh very f- subsequently famous neanderthal woman um taboon one she ha- she is one of the most complete female Neanderthals we have with one of the the only complete female, um, pelvis, uh, you know, the hip bones, which are so important for understanding, uh, Neanderthal biology and how, how women lived during that time, and how they give birth and stuff. And so, yeah, there's, there's these connections between women and, and, um, and even in Neanderthal sites is great.
0: Now uh, you said that was, what was it? T- taboon? Is that taboon? Taboon, yep. Okay. And then just to clarify on the, uh, um, it's called it's trowel blazers like the, yeah the trowel
1: like yeah like yeah. the trowel because you know archaeologists we use trowels to sure, excavate right. so instead of trailblazers <laughs> um <laughs> one of one of the other founders tori herridge and um, she's a paleobiologist and she's extremely good at puns and so she's <laughs> like oh yeah let's call it trowel blazers and she's right <laughs> it's a great name so yeah the website is just trowelblazers.com
0: okay awesome yeah we'll get that up too now you do, um, so is that where the coaching comes in? I think you, you had, uh, I can't remember where I've seen it at on something. You, you, do you do some kind of coaching for uh, women um, what, in archaeology or something?
1: Um, I I did do some work um, uh, in terms of running a science writing course. I think that okay. was last year. Yes. Um, yeah, that was kind of like, that was separate. That was to do with um, the British Science uh, Foundation. Um, but yeah, no, it's, I kind of... Although my, my professional sort of expertise and archaeological training, everything that I, that I have, I would always say, first and foremost, I'm a Neanderthal sort of specialist um, and stone tool expert and all of that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm interested in, um, in the history of archaeology. You know, in the book, there's tons of, of the really interesting, weird historical details around Neanderthal finds, um, and that's also kind of what got me interested in the history of women in archaeology um and how how that fits together and and then you know just the the relevance of um of conditions today for for women working in archaeology and, and sort of the professional side of it as well um but yeah i think um i think the the historical side is is something that i guess in in some books about neanderthals they there is some history there but there is a lot of very sort of funny little facts and strange things um about particular fossils and I really wanted to put that in as well and that that whole storytelling side is really important to 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 how I work um, even though you know I've been in academia for a long time and you're very much trained in the scientific methods and you know how to write a scientific paper is is one thing um, but I didn't want the book to be like that at all I wanted it to be You know, I wanted it to be absolutely rooted in the science and the data, but kind of then describe that and, you know, present ideas around that. But also take a little leap beyond and, you know, have some some speculation and some inferences that are informed by what we know from the archaeology. But be a little bit creative and try and help people, I guess, see the world from through the eyes of Neanderthals as well.
0: I was actually going to mention that too. I was going to, uh, you know, wanted to talk about how, um, you know, your storytelling goes in the book where, you know, you give like a, uh, you know, almost like a day in the life of a Neanderthal before you really get into the, you know, the, the, I guess you can say technical side of it. And uh, yeah, I was going to ask you, do you ever think about writing fiction books in regards to (laughs) Neanderthals? (laughs)
1: Uh, Yeah. You know what? I, I would love to, I find it a little bit scary (laughs) the idea of it because I mean, I was definitely like one of those um, sort of people at, at, at high school, you know, who was like interested in poetry and I, I sort of co-started the poetry club at school and things like that. So that side of creative writing has always been there. Um, and definitely one of the the reasons that I, I guess, became really enthralled by Neanderthals and interested in them was through fiction as well. You know, um, Jean Owl, I'm sure listeners will know her work, um, the Clan of the Cave Bear series that she began in, in the eighties. Um, and although her writing is not the same as, as how I, how I do my creative stuff that, that definitely was part of my interest. And so I have, you know, I have, always done a little bit of creative writing here and there and, and poems although nobody's going to see my teenage poems <laughs> <laughs> um but um but yeah no i i kind of the thing is i i feel like it's it's weird because um i'm quite visual but i'm not like an exceptionally great artist so i like making sketches and things but what i try and do is with the creative, and they're basically little narrative sections at the beginning of each chapter. Sometimes they're short. Sometimes they are actually more like a short poem. Sometimes they're like little stories and scenes. Um, and what that is is basically when I read a scientific article or a book, I get really strong visual images of you know that situation in the past. Um, say there's, you know, one of the chapters in the book is about um, hunting, um, and the the scene there is um, a real site, it's the site uh, Schörningen, uh, which is about 330,000 years old in Germany, and it's a horse hunting site on the shores of a lake, and the remains of um, 50 horses or so have been found from there probably multiple phases of hunting it's not just one mass hunt but also um these absolutely incredible uh wooden spears probably throwing spears um are preserved from there as well and you know there is a there's a lot that's been written about that site and and absolutely you know when you see new publications on it it's like oh it's really exciting I can't wait to read it but that's the sciencey side but at the same time my my creative mind is ticking away and I you know literally see the horse's bodies floating in the lake, you know, like their eyes staring up at the sky. And, and it's that <laughs> kind of visual stuff that I, I can't draw that myself. You know, there are pictures in the book and I got a uh, much more talented artist than me, who's also an archeologist, Alison Atkins. She's done the little drawings, but I'm trying to describe what I see with words. And it's that intersection, I guess, between what the archeology span means to me in terms of what we can say Scientifically about Neanderthals, but also what that reveals about what living 330,000 years ago was like, and it's that that I want to sort of share with people, and I guess distil down into these little narrative sections at the beginning of each chapter.
0: Uh, well, speaking, I guess, just from the layman, lay person side of it, meaning me, you know, because I, I, again, I, I come into this as a, a grade, le- grade school level knowledge of Neanderthals, it it helps whenever you create those stories, like you do before each chapter, it, it helps me contextualize, I guess you can say it puts me into that scenario to make me understand, you know, what's been found, and you know, uh, all the discoveries that we've made. So I definitely appreciate that type of uh
1: I guess oh, it's re- really <laughs> i know not everybody likes it. There's some rather unkind reviews on Amazon about.
0: Oh, is it really? Wow.
1: <laughs> there are, but uh, but um, you know, it's not for everybody, and that's okay. Sure, um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think I've got a novel in me, <laughs> but I don't know how to get it out. And yeah, the idea of trying to write dialogue is really scary. So. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> Well, let's hope you uh, let's hope you uh, get up the courage, in a sense, to do that because I'm sure <laughs> it would be a fantastic book. I really do believe that. So, mm. so about *Kindred*, um, uh, Neanderthal life, love, death, and art. So, if you wanted to, you know, see see if we can touch a couple different spots mm-hmm. about the book here. Um, sure. Now, so what? Now, how long did it take you to get that from, let's say, from uh, conception to publish? How long did it take you?
1: Well, um, my publisher, I first started talking to my publisher in 2012 and then there was this other contract for a bird book which didn't happen because we were thought, oh, there might be something similar coming, so we delayed that one and he said, well, I want you to do the Neanderthal book, the one that I wanted you to do in the first place. So he actually was asking me about it in 2012, but I said, no, I don't want to do that first because it's too intimidating. I want to do the bird one. But it wasn't until mm, early 2017 that I actually started writing Kindred. So it basically took three years to write it um, pretty much full time. Um, wow. Although I did, I, you know, because I didn't have like a big advance or anything at all. So I, um, you know, I did a lot of other stuff. I was doing consultancy work and heritage staff and other writing and things. So um you know I was I was working massively on the book but I was doing other things as well to to support my family so so yeah it was it was a pretty hard pretty hard three years I have to say but I was very lucky I did get some I got two grants from the Society of Authors um, in the UK Um they're like just a professional body for writers um, and that really really helped me out so that was great.
0: So then a lot of the research you kind of already had the knowledge of, correct? Cause that you, you've had, you had your degree in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing. I, I, I knew, you know, the basic strands of what I would write about. And I knew I didn't want to write a, you know, a chronologically organized book. I didn't want to sort of, you know, start with the oldest Neanderthal stuff and work through time. I wanted it to be thematic. I wanted it to be, you know, each chapter focusing on a different aspect of their lives and trying to tie those threads together, which is actually incredibly hard because, you know, if you start with one thing, like what did they eat? Actually, what they ate connects out to all these other things that they do. So structuring the book was really difficult. But in terms of the the actual data, um, yeah, it I knew sort of the overall picture, um, but I still went back and basically read everything that I already had and then like dived right down into the you know the site reports and and all the the data that gets published and you know I really wanted it to be um as well grounded and you know and as accurate as possible but also quite often um when you when you read the sort of the the main papers and stuff about sites, um, sometimes there's really interesting little details in the supplementary materials that go alongside that um, that you wouldn't have noticed otherwise and some of those things provided little threads of information or you know interesting little facts and so that depth of research was really good to do, although it did mean that it took a little bit longer than I thought. I thought it would take me like two years to write if it, it did, to take a year longer. Um, mainly because I was, you know, really going in-depth into it. And also I wrote tons more than, than my actual, you know, word allowance. I had to cut about 150,000 words off um oh, wow <laughs> yeah it was a bit bonkers um but um i kept that material i didn't just delete it um, yeah sure but uh but yeah so no it, it, i think it was it was largely better for it because you know when you're when you come from a scientific background you are you're trained in in like presenting every piece of data to back up your argument you know like all the cases that you know about you can't do that in a book that covers everything about neanderthals because it would be five times as long <laughs> so we just want that's why i had to cut it down because i started off collecting everything about every kind of aspect of their lives although you know i'm not saying it's 100 percent comprehensive because for example i don't speak german um, so i know some of the archaeology of neanderthals in germany but i'm much more f- familiar with the french literature and things so there is a slight geographic bias you know even in in what I've done and you know I don't I don't include anywhere as much from Eastern Europe and things for the same reason um so even even with that though it is pretty comprehensive in terms of presenting what we know about their lives um but yeah that meant that I had to really um edit it down severely um, so hopefully what's there is like the cream of, of, of what I wrote <laughs>
0: Well, I found it fascinating. Again, coming coming with a uh, you know grade school level knowledge of it, it it definitely I learned a lot through the book, and you know I I appreciate the the cream of the crop of it. I guess.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm so pleased. That's lovely to know.
0: <laughs> well, let's get let's. I wanted to ask you since you had mentioned something about uh, not being able to speak German. <laughs> I don't speak French, but I see in here um, with your bio. I'm mm-hmm. not even going to try and pronounce. Uh, fellow at the University of Liverpool, and what are those other
1: words? Oh, um, and <laughs> uh, sure, chercheur sure. bénévole. It basically just means um, like a a position because I had a postdoc there. Um, you can like maintain a connection with them. Um, so it's like a voluntary kind of like an honorary position, but not quite the same as an honorary fellow. Okay. So it's it's all sort of very, you know, arcane sort of employment versus non-employed academic positions. So, okay. um, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I guess the pronunciation for me, so it's Chercher Benevol?
1: Chercher Benevol at University of Bordeaux, yep.
0: Okay, very good. Just whenever I, because usually I'll go back and I'll, you know, I'll record the introduction after the interview and everything. Oh and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just wanted to make sure I was going to pronounce it uh, as close as I could. So, <laughs> so I guess a couple questions on uh, Neanderthals themselves. And I, well, I can't remember if I've seen it in a book or not, but I know I've seen it, read it, where. It's, supposedly or uh scientifically uh, bonobos are our closest descendants now why would we why would we think that
1: um what you mean in terms of our closest living primate relatives
0: yeah yeah, yes yes
1: um well i mean purely um in terms of what we know into of the fossil record and that we are part of the primate family you know we're apes um so are chimpanzees bonobos gorillas but chimpanzees um, are on sort of I think we've known it for quite a while that genetically they are definitely the closest so um, we share a common ancestor with them probably around seven million years ago whereas our common ancestor with gorillas is somewhat earlier probably about 10 million years ago I think something like that so the chimpanzees and the bonobos they are two very closely related um, species you know bonobos are based, sometimes called pygmy chimpanzees um but uh, they are physically a bit different and behaviorally quite different and um, their societies are structured somewhat differently um but uh they us and them our you know we share this common ancestor seven million years ago and then the lineages that would eventually lead to us split at that point but you know they weren't they weren't chimpanzees already you know they were sort of a different form of early ape at that point um, and then they went their way we went ours and and eventually became what we are today so they are just as evolved as us um, but they're just in their own sort of little thing doing what they do um, so in that sense they are they're our closest living relatives but neanderthals are our closest hominin relatives as we understand it at the moment. Um, so we diverged from a common ancestor with Neanderthals only about somewhere about 650,000 years ago so that's nothing you know compared to seven million um, <laughs> yeah, and in fact and it's, it's, it's yeah. yeah it's quite funny because that that date somewhere between sort of five 570 to about 750 you know say on average about 650,000 years since we shared an ancestor with neanderthals that's about the same difference between well
0: there you have it cave dwellers and that's just the first part of two with dr rebecca rag sykes i'm on the second round of dr rebecca's book kindred neanderthal life love death and art and i am still learning new facts about our neanderthal ancestors I just love how Rebecca tells a story of a day in the life of a Neanderthal as the opening to the next chapter. It kind of draws you in. Uh, it brings, you, brings more of a personal touch to it and gets you ready for the massive amount of information uh, Dr. Rebecca is about to give to you in this next chapter. I'll have links in the show notes to Rebecca's websites so you can indulge in everything she has to offer. So, cave dwellers, I would love to hear from you about how you feel the podcast is going. Is it what you were expecting? Are there things I can do differently to make this any better? If I don't hear from you, I can only assume that I am giving you what you want from the Neanderthal mind. I will take all criticisms that you give and try to mold the show to your liking. But I can't promise I'll be able to do everything everyone wants me to do. So please, email the show at theNeanderthalMind@gmail.com at and go to the somewhat of a website, theneanderthalmind.com and leave me some messages. Until next time, cave dwellers. And here is a little of what's to come next in the second part of my conversation with Dr Rebecca Rex some level of
1: care there but in terms of the rest of um, his injuries and whether he was looked after or not it's hard to say with him
0: so now would that discovery would that have been maybe one of the first well maybe one of the first discoveries that changed the dialogue again another stereotype where you know if you weren't able to contribute you were just left left alone and left to die so that obviously uh, sheds a different light on the compassion and the care and everything, correct?
1: Yeah, he was important. He was found in the 1960s, but um, there was another find from the earlier...
0: Thanks for listening to the Neanderthal Mind podcast. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. If you love what you heard, subscribe, rate, and review... The Neanderthal Mind podcast, wherever you download your podcasts. If you know anyone that you think would enjoy this podcast, please recommend The Neanderthal Mind to them. Until next week, my fellow cave dwellers, don't forget to leave your cave drawings and comments on our wall at theneanderthalmind.com.